men. So you'd think that the song that we sang by John Newton, Contentment, would, and you'll see this as we continue, but it, it's a, it almost matches some of the points I make in, in this sermon. So, uh, you know, the Lord is uh, providential in this, and so we'll, uh, uh, you'll see as we continue um, that to be the case, and uh, because I, there's truth there when it comes to contentment, exactly how we should handle that um, according to the Word of God. And so, um, amen to John Newton's words, and uh, with that, let's, let, me, let me take a moment and just simply pray for us as we uh, now turn to the Word as well. Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we have again to meet together, and it is indeed a privilege. I know Megan and I and our family, we, we thank you that we are able to be here tonight, and we have this opportunity uh, to meet with uh, each of these uh, precious people here, and uh, the blessing it's been to be here, and we, we rejoice and we thank you that we've had this time, and we have it here now, and we um, pray, Father, that as we come to this area of contentment, that you would help us, Lord. Uh, you know where everyone here is and what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their, their hearts and their minds. We just ask that, Father, you would indeed um, help your word to shine light in the midst of struggle, in the midst of uh, even perhaps a battle and even darkness that may seem to have flooded in. Pray that, Lord, you would help uh, your word be light to the souls and that you would help your word to shine into our hearts and minds and, and uh, that you would work deeply in us as even this passage uh, requires us to do. Um, and even as we would come to your word regularly, that that would be indeed our heart, that we would you would examine us, you would show us our hearts and you would change us and, and make us more like your son. And so we pray, Father, uh, that you would just bless this time and bless this time as we look at your word for your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves, the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow, and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth, the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20. But it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. This simple poem by Jason Lehman points to a common struggle you know, and a common longing that we really, all of us have, that the struggle and the longing 
for our hearts and our lives to be satisfied, to have, in a word, contentment. And so our common struggle and our common longing to be satisfied, and not in some kind of, you know, passing, fleeting kind of way, but to have a contentment that endures, a contentment that lasts, that is not just simply momentary, but continues, a kind of contentment that goes beyond you know, where we live, or where the jobs we have, you know, the foods we eat, or the cars that we drive. But what is the secret? Throughout the week, you know, we're told what the secret is in some ways, and in many ways. At least they, they try to tell us where you can find you know, contentment. Um, as you watch you know, commercials and you see the billboards, for sure they're trying to say this is, this is where you can find your contentment. Even in many ways, there, you hear this whisper, if you only had the newest TV, you know, if you only, had, you only could watch this new show, or watch this new movie, Avengers Endgame, if you saw that, the end of the Avengers Phase 1 series, then your desire, your, you would be content. Now you know what happens. If you try this new recipe, or eat at this new restaurant, or if you Go on vacation here. You finally get to go to Paris. You've been wanting to do it all your life, and now you're doing it. You make this investment. You go to this bank. You trust this candidate. You learn this. You read this. You do this. And on and on it goes, right? We are promised that if you only do these things, then you'll finally be content. Let's say, very honestly... Each of these, and all of these, even more than these, cannot lead us to true and lasting contentment. So where can we find true, solid contentment? Well, this evening, in the book of Philippians, Paul, he tells us. He tells us exactly where we can find the secret to contentment. And the the secret is this. God's power at work in him in Christ. And so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me then to Philippians chapter 4, and I'll be reading there from from verses 10 through 13 there, and uh, may God bless the reading of his word as we hear it tonight. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So these words from Paul in the context of a church that sincerely, and I mean that, they sincerely and deeply loved Paul. 
And if you read the book of Philippians, you see that. The Philippians love Paul, and they love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why Paul, he writes here how he rejoices at the Philippians' revived concern for him. So he began the letter in chapter 1, thanking God for the Philippians, as he even says in chapter 1, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the Philippians, they were continually seeking to go above and beyond in supporting Paul. However, at some point, and for some reason, you know, we're not given here, they were not able to support Paul financially. But now they are able. And they have given to support him out of love for Paul and out of love for the gospel of Jesus Christ, wanting to see it spread, wanting to see the ministry grow, wanting to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they've given. And so now, Paul's attitude and situation, you know, and even his response to everything going on with him at this point, it could have been different here. So remember, in the book of Philippians, he was in prison, likely in Rome. So he could have been responding in an entirely different way. He could have been overcome. And though he wasn't entirely alone, he could have been despairing, even as he had done in the past, even despairing, even of his own life, even having a verdict of death over him, as he says in 2 Corinthians. But here he's not doing that. So in the midst of prison, Paul knew he was not abandoned by God. So notice who Paul rejoices in here. Though the Philippians are the ones directly partnering with Paul, Paul, he sees beyond the Philippians. He sees God's hand. He sees God's care, and he he sees God's love and God's purpose. He sees God's sovereignty in the midst of prison. He doesn't say, well, this is an area, when it comes to suffering, well, that's not actually an area that God's over, you know, so I just need to kind of figure this out on my own. That's not his conclusion. And so, too, first here, first point tonight for this passage, is realize that you, too, are not alone. You, too, are not alone. So, despair may come, and you may even feel alone. You may even feel like God's not even there. His presence is not there, but no, and I mean that, no, in Christ, God is there with you. He is upholding you. He is keeping you. He is present with you. He is comforting you. He is being merciful towards you. And that he will bring to completion the work that he has begun in you. Even when you don't feel it, he's there. Even as you see this, though, notice how God uses his people, the church, though. So God here, he displays his love through God's people. God displays his love through God's people. So as Paul, he was facing opposition, even prison, there was another reason that he wasn't alone either. He had brothers and sisters in Christ who were standing alongside him in the midst of these struggles, in the midst of these challenges. 
that he was going through in these trials. So, you know, Megan and I, we were born and raised in Oklahoma. Um, now, uh, even though, you know, we've been away from our family, you know, for some you know, 12 to 13 years, the truth is we've never been away from family. We've had brothers, we've had sisters in Christ who have loved us, who have, uh, we've loved, <laughs> and who we've had, you know, sweet fellowship with together. And, and even beyond that, even if, you know, you're not even here right now, <laughs> whether you're in China or Africa or somewhere else, as long as you have brothers and sisters in Christ, you have family. And in that, See God's hand and his love displayed through God's people. He has not left us alone. Either not with his presence, he is directly with us in the midst of our struggles, but he also has given us our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And what a mercy of God. Does that mean we always get along? No. (laughs) But my, even there the Lord uses that as a mercy and as, as a good thing in our lives. How he sanctifies us. I mean, I, you, if you have, you have children here, you know, you've had children, you have children, you know there's trials involved there. <laughs> but God uses that, right? You don't just say, well, I'm done with my children. You just go, you go somewhere else. <laughs> you don't do that. You, God is using the family of God, even in the midst of struggles for his glory and our good. And that, we would say, is a mercy. That is a mercy. And let me say, as well, you know, how often, you know, we've had brothers and sisters in Christ who have said, stood by us, and they've prayed for us, you know, they've loved on us, and they've cared for us in so many cases. And as you think of your own life, you know, the challenges that you faced, and what ways has the Lord cared for you through God's people? Just think back. Think presently. And let your response with Paul be one of thankfulness. Sure, maybe you haven't gone along with this person or that person at different times. But thank God for the body of Christ. And thank God when others bless you in the name of Christ. And then turn and even consider how you can bless others. So like the Philippians, consider how you can serve and love others for the sake of the gospel as well. That's exactly what the Philippians were doing here. They loved Paul. They wanted to bless Paul and they wanted to see the gospel go, go out. So Now here in verses 11 and 12... Paul, he turns to make a qualification. He wants to be clear here. Even as he rejoices and is glad in the Lord for the Philippians, he wants the Philippians to know that he is content. So Paul, he has learned to recognize the hand of God in times of blessing and in times of need. And so also we must consider more than our present circumstances but the sovereign God who cares for and is purposing all things in your life for his glory. In other words, we must recognize 
God's hand in plenty and in hunger. So Paul's knowledge of God's sovereignty was not merely a theory for Paul. It wasn't some abstract thing. It wasn't for, you know, seminaries and you pull out your systematic theology and, okay, I'm just going to ascribe to that or believe this. It wasn't something up in the air, but it was something that he knew was true. He had experienced God's guiding hand over his life. Through every beating, every trial, every loss, God, he knew, was at work in him. And he is also at work in you as well. So believe, embrace, and hold it close to your heart, God's word that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He is teaching us, he is growing us, he's maturing us, and he's helping us through it all. Now there are two temptations that we must guard against and two ways that we can be tempted here when we face these two kind of spectrums of plenty and hunger. So the first temptation, with plenty specifically, we can be tempted to make plenty of false comfort. Even an idol. So plenty, it can come and give us this false kind of sense of security where slowly, bit by bit, we begin relying more on things, more on our money, more on our job, and more on instead of God. So plenty and hunger alike test what we treasure. So your refrigerator is full, your pantry is stocked, you have that emergency fund in place, your savings is substantial, you're good. You don't have to worry because you've got all your bases covered. But this, right there and then, is when our hearts can slowly begin leaning on and trusting in those things and even finding joy in life in light of your plenty. Even without you knowing it, just slowly leaning on it. I've got that. At least I have my savings. I'm good. You're leaning on it. Trust in the Lord and do not lean on your understanding. But you're always raising knowledge and you make your path straight. That passage, I heard it well once from a, a pastor. He said, we should so lean on God that if he moved, we'd fall over. And, but with plenty, we can sometimes lean on those other things. And when they move, we fall over. <laughs> So, that's temptation one. Temptation two, on the other hand, is when we can be tempted to make hunger a reason to worry. The refrigerator is mostly, if not entirely, empty. The pantry is non-existent. You urgently need emergency fund. And savings, what is that again? You know, everything is not good. You have every reason to worry. None of your bases are covered. And this is where our hearts, they begin to pound, and our thoughts overflow with thoughts of fear. 
And sure, we know God's word says, do not be anxious about anything or for nothing, but not when we really go through hard times. That's not the way it works. That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> now, if you've been through that, you know this, that's not easy. <laughs> that's not just a, a platitude that I'm saying up here. When you really go through, uh, when you don't have, uh, when you are tempted to have, when you don't have anything, when you go through lack, it's difficult. Very difficult. And it begins showing us those things we're leaning on. But let me tell you, even then, even in lack, contentment is still possible. It's available. It's not easy. In fact, Paul, he, here he said he learned in whatever situation to be content. So also we see here our need to learn to be content. Paul has learned the secret. He has experienced both plenty and hunger. So what does learning to be content look like? Does it mean that you, you uh, face plenty and hunger first before you can learn to be content? You know what I mean? I don't think so. <laughs> Otherwise, passages like this would propel us to draw all kinds of weird and awkward conclusions. So we might conclude that we need to go and live the high life before we can really learn this kind of contentment. Or go and sell everything we have and suffer greatly before we'll, now I know how to be content. Christ in me. You know, that's not, that's not what Paul is calling us to do here. Learning to be content, where it begins, is right here. In our hearts. One of the best questions we can ask is, what am I looking to to satisfy my heart? What do you look to to make you feel secure? What do you worry about that makes you afraid for the future? The Proverbs 31 woman amazes me. She looks at the future and laughs. (laughs) The fear of the Lord is what compels her. (laughs) These are the kind of heart questions that begin to really dissect and get down to the dirty work, which is hard work, to ask what is going on in my heart. So when Megan and I, we got married, we both agreed we wanted Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 read at our wedding. And we did. We had it read at our wedding. (laughs) Which I think gets to the heart of contentment. And this is what Habakkuk says in chapter 3, 17 through 19. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And here is where I would encourage each of us to enroll in the school of Christ. Ask the hard questions. That's what it means to enroll in the school of Christ. Dig down deep. Get into God's word. 
Search his word. Study his word. And let it expose the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Seek Christ and learn from him. Charles Spurgeon, the famous pastor and preacher, he believes scripture should be read as though Christ were with you. In one of his sermons, he said this, He, Christ, leans over me. He puts his fingers along the lines. I can see his pierced hand. I will read it as in his presence. I will read it knowing that he is the substance of it, that he is the proof of this book, as well as he is the writer of it, the sum of this scripture, as well as the author of it. That is the way for true students to become wise. You will get at the soul of Scripture when you can keep Jesus with you while you are reading. So sit at the feet of Christ and take your sins because we have them in your weaknesses because we have them in your false satisfactions because we have them to Him. By His Spirit inside of you, let Christ become then your central satisfaction your central joy, your central treasure above any of those other things. And in his school, in the school of Christ, we must learn to trust him who left glory for us. None of us know what may lie ahead for us. It may be plenty. It may be hunger. But we can trust Christ. We can lean on him if or when those times come. We can take him at his word when he says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We can take him at his word when he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is a day for its own trouble. So let us trust him, who whether we have it all or have nothing, is sufficient to satisfy our souls. And even ask if we believe that. And even in asking that question, you're getting where you need to be going. And this leads us then to consider the last verse here. Verse 13. So we come to this verse first with a correction. So this passage, it is not guaranteeing your success. So many today, you know, they take this verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And say, this means that I can do anything and the Lord will bless it. Maybe you're considering, you know, climbing a mountain. Let's just go ahead and say Mount Everest. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. (laughs) Maybe mountains aren't your thing. Maybe you want to be a, a successful entrepreneur. Even the next Steve Jobs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe that's not it. Maybe you're more modest. You just want to be a superstar quarterback at 55. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And although it may be funny, many have tried to use this passage 
is there a great deal of things that this passage does not mean. And I'm not saying at the same time that you know, people who are doing that are just ill-intentioned. They're not just doing, man, you know, I'm just going to use this passage inappropriately, and so we need not think of them in that way, in some way of you know, critique of like a mean-spirited heart towards people who would do that. I think their heart is right, ultimately, in some ways. But here we see all the important rule of context. As we've seen so far, you know, Paul, he is not talking about doing the incredible. He's talking about being content and contentment, whether in prison, whether we're low, whether we abound, or whether we have abundance and we're in need. And you know what? That really is incredible. <laughs> being content either way. And this is quite a different meaning than using the passage as though it is guaranteeing us success. But what we do see and can see of this passage is this. It directs us to the true source of our contentment. And so the secret of contentment is this, Christ in you. Now you may have noticed that some translations here, you know, they word this differently. You know, Perhaps this is just a curious thing to me, you know, and maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know if I, you need to know this, but it's always good to know the word better. <laughs> uh, so some say I can do all things through him. Others say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So different translations. So why is that? So first, let me say that the hymn here, it's referring to Christ as it uses a similar construction as in like other places in Paul. So for example, in 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul, he writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Similar construction, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So the him here, back in chapter 4, is connected to verse 10, where Paul says he rejoiced in the Lord. And that's how we can get the antecedent Lord, meaning Jesus Christ. So second, though, and very simply, much of the reason that translations differ here is because scribes, they inserted Christ here in the Greek that wasn't originally there. They likely did this to make the referent clear, but it wasn't originally there in the original manuscript, and so we have you know, different renderings of this verse, verse, but nonetheless, we see the point here, either way. The point is that Christ is our true source of true, lasting contentment. Essentially, you and I must accept and believe that Christ is sufficient. This means we must face down all ideas and all attitudes within ourselves that declare, I am enough. Instead, we must turn from self-sufficiency to Christ's sufficiency. When things abound, Christ is better. When hunger abounds, Christ is sufficient and more. And this challenges then to follow Christ. And I mean, that means we may need to be uprooted. We may need to do what stretches us, makes us uncomfortable. Not because we can or because we have to, but because we want Christ. We want to know Him. We want to live for Him. For our Lord, not knowing, not allowing comfort or fear of discomfort keep us from following Him. And that's the point. When you're content in Christ, you can do anything. 
that rejection for someone saying, no, I don't want your Jesus. Christ is sufficient for me. I can go to the unreached peoples because Christ is enough. We can follow Christ and be satisfied in Him wherever He calls us and in whatever He may call us to do. So contentment in Christ will uproot apathy and complacency that may keep us from doing what's difficult or hard so that we may serve Christ and follow Him. And that's what we desperately need, I believe, in multiple ways in our lives. How often it's so easy just to do what's comfortable. Especially for us in churches, it's so easy just to stay and not go and talk to our neighbor or try to share the gospel with someone because that can be difficult or challenging or even hurt our reputation. But this is the kind of thing that I think is this is passage is calling us to consider. To follow Christ and be satisfied in Him. So with Christ before us, we uproot fear and our desire for comfort. And by the grace of God, let us follow him. Above all, from this passage, may it be that whether in abundance or need, comfort or trial, Christ would be our portion, our treasure, and the one who satisfies our souls. Let's pray. Father, we... We come to you, Lord, and we, we see that we are not sufficient. And that crosses all the areas of our life. And how quickly and how fast we run to lean on things that we ought not to lean on. Or worry about things that you're in, you've got it. So, Father, help us. We, we come and realize that this is not easy. But that's okay. We want to be like Christ. And that means we want our hearts to be examined. And even now, every one of us, may we do that. We examine our hearts in these things in respect to your word. May you do that work in us. And may you help us, Lord, to enroll in the school of Christ and follow him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.